You're listening to episode number seven of the Keto Diet Podcast. Hey, I'm Leanne from healthfulpursuit.com, and this is the Keto Diet Podcast, where we're busting through the restrictive mentality of a traditional ketogenic diet to uncover the life you crave. What's keto? Keto is a low-carb, high-fat diet where we're switching from a sugar-burning state to becoming fat-burning machines. The keto diet has helped me with fertility, has ended my constant weight struggles, blood sugar regularities, imbalanced moods, and so, so much more. I want to share this magic with you using a realistic approach to this powerful diet. No restriction, new ways of looking at things, and positive support awaits. Let's get this party started. Hey guys, November 13th, and it is exactly 34 days until I go on vacation. But don't worry, the podcast will just keep rolling along. You won't miss an episode. I will be here every Sunday, even if I'm sailing the seas and totally disconnected from the internet. The reason I bring this up is that I have like literally 33 days until my ginormous manuscript has to be handed in for the paperback book that I'm writing called the keto diet. We planned it so that I would hand it in and go on vacation for a really long time. And I'm very excited for that moment of getting on the plane and leaving my phone and my laptop and everything at home so I can recharge. It's so important that we recharge and that we also listen to our bodies. And lately I just, I'm tired, but I'm also very excited and I can't wait to recharge and then come back and just totally crush the new year with all of you and provide even more awesome content. But don't worry, the podcast will be staying just as it is. Every Sunday we'll be pre-recording a whole bunch of episodes while I'm gone. So the awesome thing this week that I've discovered over the last couple of weeks is preparing a to-do list for your yourself specifically online in three different sections. So previously what I'd always do is like write a to-do list on a piece of paper and it would be the entire paper and everything would be on there that I'd need to do and I would get super overwhelmed at all the things I needed to do. Now I've moved it online and it only allows me to have three high priority items and then 10 medium priority and then everything else goes in the low priority and I can't actually see the medium or low until all the high things are done. So it's kept me really accountable to staying on task and it's helped me not get overwhelmed with the things that don't matter as much as a high priority items. If you're the type of person who often bites off more than they can chew, this could go for work or your personal life or even uh, your eating style changes that you're trying to incorporate. I highly recommend giving it a try if you're that type of person. What we're covering in this episode, the process of becoming happier, what stops us from being happy, and how your personality dictates your happiness. The show notes for today's episode can be found at healthfulpursuit.com forward slash podcast forward slash e7 let's hear from one of our awesome partners the podcast is excited to be partnered with intellibed the non-toxic mattress that provides optimal comfort and support for your body if you guys remember last year i wrote a post about my newfound discovery of the toxins conventional mattresses are treated in from flame retardants boric acid and formaldehyde it was enough to make my skin crawl 
all of these chemicals can wreak havoc on health, including our hormone function. So in July 2015, I swapped out my conventional mattress for an IntelliBed, and it's been one of the best choices I've made for our family's health. We didn't think that the headaches, throat clearing, and hip pains were being caused by our mattress, but it's so clear now that they were. You too can create a toxin-free sleeping environment with IntelliBed. Head on over to healthfulpursuit.com forward slash sleep to get 10% off your IntelliBed order plus a free Blendtec blender when you place an order on or before December 5th, 2016. Once you've decided on a mattress, use the coupon code HELPFUL at checkout for your discount. So I have one announcement for you guys this week. If you listened to episode six last week, I announced that I just launched my keto holiday cookbook that's complete with 30 recipes that are low carb, gluten-free, grain-free, dairy-free, and also have adjustments for nightshade-free, low FODMAP, egg-free, and nut-free holiday recipes. If you're looking at instilling some ketoness into your holiday season, I highly recommend checking out the new digital book that I put together for you guys. It's only $10. You can get more details at healthfulpursuit.com forward slash keto holiday. Like I said, it includes 30 recipes as well as four keto holiday dinner party menus. So if you are going to be hosting a dinner party and you're freaking out thinking that nobody's going to like the keto food, I have tested all of these recipes on my friends and family. Everyone was blown away that the whole meal was ketogenic and severely low carb and I managed to keep the macros on point for the entire event from appetizers all the way through to desserts. Everything is included, including one of the best cranberry sauces I've ever had and it's low carb and I slathered it on all of the things. And I forgot I had a second announcement. I'll try to make it really quick. Dr. Mark Hyman's Fat Summit 2 began on November 7th. And if you are like me and you sign up for telesummits and then miss all of them, I highly recommend you head on over to healthfulpursuit.com forward slash summit if you are interested in learning about biohacking your biology and weight loss with healthy fats, or you wanted to learn more about saturated fat, cholesterol, butter, sugar, carbs, or you're looking at supplementing to aid in the digestion of fats. Again, head on over to healthfulpursuit.com forward slash summit where you can learn more about the summit and all of the awesome information that they shared on the summit. And if you guys listened to last week's episode, you probably heard a new ad for IntelliBed. We've just partnered up with IntelliBed. Super excited to have them on board. I bought a conventional mattress probably about four or five years ago now. And soon after buying that mattress, my hips started hurting like major hip pain. I was having to go to the chiropractor. It was a huge deal. I went back to the mattress store and they said, oh yeah, all you need is a body pillow (laughs) to like add on to the cost of the mattress. So I bought the body pillow and I'd had to sleep and wedge myself up against a body pillow in order to have a good sleep. And one of my girlfriends actually worked for a store that sold IntelliBeds. We were chatting about the quality and the toxins in conventional mattresses that I didn't even know was a thing. I just spent all this money on a conventional mattress at a regular mattress store. And here she was saying that thyroid disorders and adrenal dysfunction and hormone irregularities 
irregularities can be caused by all of the crazy chemicals they treat conventional mattresses with. She mentioned IntelliBed. I ended up chatting with IntelliBed in about June of 2015 and got my first IntelliBed in July of 2015. And I have been loving the mattress ever since. Kevin loves it. I love it. We can't live without it. In fact, when we're away from home and we sleep in a new bed for like the first time or when we're camping, we always complain about how we don't have our IntelliBed with us. (laughs) And so I'm really excited to be partnered up with IntelliBed because it's become such a huge part to my life and healthful sleep and making sure that I'm taking care of my body really starts by making sure that I'm having a good night's rest. So IntelliBed was super sweet in setting up an amazing promotion for us and for the podcast and for all of you guys. If you go to healthfulpursuit.com forward slash sleep and you use the coupon code healthful, that's all in caps, no spaces, you get 10% off at IntelliBed plus a free Blendtec blender. So the orders just need to be placed before December 5th of 2016. So go check them out. If you have questions, their customer service is phenomenal. And I highly encourage you if you're looking for a mattress or you're thinking about looking at mattresses, even for the future, definitely check them out. My life has never been the same. And I know that Kevin would say the same. Lastly, if you have an idea for a podcast episode or you want to submit praise over and above the review you just posted for the show, right? You can reach me at info at ketodietpodcast.com and I'm going to read one of the reviews that came in over the last couple of weeks. It's from Kristen Vanfa. And she says, discovering Leanne's take on keto has truly changed the game for me in so many ways. Her work is wonderfully honest and informative while keeping the ins and outs of this lifestyle down to earth and realistic. Awesome. I'm so glad you feel that way. I just, I don't, I ain't got time for unrealistic. And I know a lot of people don't. So if you want to leave a review for the podcast and support my show, you can go to healthfulpursuit.com forward slash review, and you'll be directed to a page where you can submit your review. Click on reviews, write a review, give me five stars, hopefully, and write something nice. Or you can go to your favorite podcast app and search for the Keto Diet Podcast and submit your review there. So I interviewed Gretchen Rubin, and we're going to cut over to that interview in just a second. If you guys aren't familiar with Gretchen, she's the author of several books, including the blockbuster New York Times bestsellers, Better Than Before, The Happiness Project, and Happier at Home. She has an enormous readership, both in print and online, and her books have sold more than 2 million copies worldwide in more than 30 languages. On her popular weekly podcast, Happier with Gretchen Rubin, she discusses good habits and happiness with her sister, Elizabeth Kraft. They've been called the click and clack of podcasters. Her podcast was named in iTunes of Best Podcasts in 2015 and was named in the Academy of Podcasters Best Podcast of 2016. BuzzFeed listed happier in the 10 life-changing things to try in June. And the New Yorker said their voices remind you that life is a human project that we're all experimenting with. The podcast consistently ranks in the iTunes top charts. Gretchen Rubin started her career in law and was clerking for Supreme Court Justice Sandra Day O'Connor when she realized she wanted to be a writer. She lives in New York City with her husband and two daughters. 
So in the podcast, we chat specifically, and what I loved where this conversation went was about our personality and how our personalities can very much dictate our happiness, how we interact with others, how we interact with ourselves, and really how understanding our personality can help us structure our diet in a way that is successful. So certain people will need certain things out of a diet, certain people will need certain support groups, and we chat about how to wrap this all up in a gratitude practice to really take it home and to instill habits that will set us up for success. So let's cut over to the interview. Hey, Gretchen, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Oh, I'm so happy to be talking to you today. This is so great. For listeners that may not be familiar with your work, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm a writer. Uh, I'm probably best known for my book called The Happiness Project, which is a an account of the year that I spent test driving the wisdom of the ages, the contemporary scientific research and lessons from popular culture about how to be happy. And I report on what worked and what didn't. And then I wrote a book, Happier at Home, which is all about sort of really diving into home and trying to make your home a happy place. And then most recently, I wrote a book, Better Than Before, which is all about how to change your habits. Because what I found is that a lot of times people know perfectly well what would make them happier. And the problem is, how do they get themselves to do it? And so habits can really help us do that. So I got very interested in how habits can make us happier. And I also have a podcast called Happier. I think you see a theme here um, <laughs> with my sister, uh, Elizabeth Kraft, who's a TV writer and producer. And so once a week on Happier, we talk about you know how to be happier, just sort of concrete tips for everyday life. How did all of this start, your your love of being happy? And, and what was the catalyst for wanting to change your own happiness? Well, I didn't come from a place of deep unhappiness. I was pretty happy when I started. I was a right. I had started out my career in law. I was actually a, a clerk for Sandra Day O'Connor on the Supreme Court when I decided I don't want to be a lawyer. I want to be a writer. So I switched to writing and I'd written, I think, three or four books. And I was finishing up a biography of John F. Kennedy. And I had this sort of rare moment of reflection. I was stuck on a city bus. And I thought, what do I want from life anyway? And I thought, I want to be happy. But I never spent any time thinking about whether I was happy or how I could be happier. And so I thought, well, I should have a happiness project. And that was the phrase, the happiness project. And I started just doing it for myself, doing all this research for myself. But it's such a fascinating subject that pretty soon I thought, wow, I should write a whole book about this. And it turns out it's such a fascinating subject that I have been writing and <laughs> researching and talking to people about it ever since. Totally. And there was a line in your book, I can't remember where it was, but it really stuck out to me. And it, you said something like, I didn't want to wait for a crisis to reinvent my life. Yes. Yeah. Now, mm, I yeah. I think sometimes people assume that for if somebody did a happiness project, it must be that they were in a place of despair. And I was pretty happy, but I thought, you know, I'm not even appreciating enough how happy I am. And that was one of my big goals for my happiness project was just to recognize how happy I, I already was. Mm, okay. So that's like a whole different way of looking at things as opposed to, you know, what are all the things that I'm focusing on that are unhappy and how do I change it? It's like, what are the amazing things that are happening in my life right now that I can be grateful for? to make, yeah. to, to allow me to be happy. Well, you know, I think everybody recognizes and certainly research supports the idea that gratitude is, a, is 
people who are grateful are much happier. They even like sleep better and are more healthier. But it's sometimes hardest to be grateful for the things that you should be the absolutely most grateful for. Like it's hard to be great to remember electricity. It's hard on the podcast. I recently I just talked about how I was trying to remind myself to be grateful for contact lenses, which are something that I use every single day of my life from the more moment I wake up to the moment I get to bed. They are a huge happiness booster for me, and yet I never think about them. And so, you know, you want to really remember how much you have to be feel grateful for and it, not wait until something's taken away from you to realize how important it is to your happiness. And that goes for health too. Like I know that when you're feeling great, you're great and your digestion is working and everything's great, but then you get constipated and that's all you can think about. And then you're like, oh, I wish I would have focused on the happiness. Yeah, no, I (laughs) think health is like money. When you have it, it's very easy to overlook the important role that it can play in your life. And then when you don't have it, it looms very large as a happiness challenge. And so I think health is something where you want to be grateful for good health and also, you know, to be willing to do the things that maybe make are not fun or happiness inducing in the short term, but that are going to make you happy over the long run. Because sometimes we do deprive ourselves or push ourselves to do things that in the immediate experience are not what we would feel like doing, but we know that in the long run, we're going to be much happier for doing them. Mm -hmm. So what did your happiness project look like? Like, I know there were different phases of your project and tell us a little bit more about how, what that process was like. Well, so I, I decided that I would do it for a year, which seemed long enough to be like to have real change, but short enough not to be too intimidating. And so I, I spent uh, a month, uh, I picked 12 areas of my life where I thought I needed to do work in order to be happier. And for everyone, those would be different, you know, because everyone has different values, different interests, different limitations. And so, uh, so I, you know, like the first one was energy because I thought, well, if I had more energy, then everything else will be easier. You know, everything's easier if you have energy. And so, so then I would think about, well, what are like two, three, four concrete manageable resolutions that I could do to really try to make myself happier in that area. So I did that throughout the year. And then in Happier at Home, I did the same thing, but focused on like in Happier at Home, one of the months was possessions because what is a big aspect of your home? Obviously it's your possessions and possessions actually, it's a very emotionally charged area within the larger subject of happiness. So that's how I structured those two happiness, to like sort of happiness project years. Mm. And you mentioned core values and values as somebody that's gone through like Danielle Laporte's, for example, if you're familiar with her. Yeah, her sure. Co- I know Danielle. Yeah. So her core desired feelings are really good for figuring out really what, what you're after. And I know that once I figured out like what my values were, freedom, spontaneity, and adventure, if things don't align with that, I'm not as happy. <laughs> and I find it so much easier to be happier. Do you have tips on how one can define those core values in order to know how to define their happiness project? Well, you know, I think that's a very, just a super critical issue. And, and it, I feel like it's the great challenge of our lives to know ourselves. And you can really only build a happy life on the foundation of self-knowledge. But it's hard. It's very hard mm-hmm. to look in the mirror and see who's really there because we're so distracted by who we wish we were, who we think we ought to be, or who other people are expecting us to be. And so one of the things I try to do in my work 
always is to raise questions that will kind of illuminate an aspect of our personality or, or like show us indirectly something that it's hard to see directly. So one good question is, whom do you envy? Envy is a very negative emotion. A lot of times we want to pretend like we don't feel envious, but it's actually a hugely helpful emotion. If you envy somebody, they have something you wish you wanted, and that tells you something important about yourself. Or another question is, what did you do for fun when you were 10 years old? A lot of adults really have kind of lost touch with what they would do for fun. They're so focused on like, what's fun for the whole family? It's like, no, what's fun for you? What do you feel like doing? Maybe everybody wants to go out and play touch football, but you actually want to read in bed, you know, and, and, but you need to know that. And so, but what you did when you were 10 years old is probably something that you would like to do now. And then I also, in my most recent book, Better Than Before, I tried to highlight a lot of distinctions that come up with habit formation. So for instance, abundance lovers and simplicity lovers. Simplicity lovers are people like me. We like bare surfaces, clean shelves, not that many choices, you know, a lot of lit less. And then there's abundance lovers and they love profusion and choice and collections and buzz and a lot of stuff going on. And it's not that one way is better than the other or one person's right and one person's wrong. It's just that people thrive in different environments. And so if you're working for a boss who says to you, a cluttered desk means a cluttered mind, it's like, <laughs> well, maybe that's true for you, but it's not true for me. So in Better Than Before, I really try to highlight tons and tons and tons of these kinds of differences because I think sometimes when it seems maybe overly simplistic to divide people into categories, but I think it actually can be quite helpful. Yes, 100%. And and one is not worse than the other or anything. It's just understanding who yep. you are as an individual so you can yep. get to know yourself actually. Yes. Now, you mentioned thinking, you know, thinking of who we should be, especially as it comes to society. I know a lot of the women listening are using diets, like very strict, restrictive dieting to change their body in some way of, you know, upping their social status. Any thoughts on that when it comes to happiness and core values at all? Well, I mean, you want to do things for the right reasons and you want to, and I guess I look at it differently because when somebody's trying to do make a big change like that. To me, what's important is, are you keeping your promises to yourself? Whatever those promises are, whatever for you, you think would lead to a happier life. So one question is, are you right that doing that will make you happier? And so that's a question of like, well, is it really going to, is it really going to make you happier? And then, which is a question. And then another thing is like, well, can you, can you, can you follow through for yourself? Because when we don't keep our promises to ourselves, that is a very bad feeling. When you feel like you can't trust yourself, you can't rely on yourself. That's tough. Now, and one of the things that comes up is that a lot of times we think that what will work for somebody else will work for us. Or we think that if somebody tells us this is the right way to do something, then if we can't do it that way, there must be something wrong with us. And like, say, facing a strong temptation, whether that's a food temptation, like chocolate is your kryptonite, or maybe it's something like Candy Crush, which is my sister's kryptonite. Like She was <laughs> like, she's like, Candy Crush is actually affecting my career. I cannot <laughs> stop playing this game. So and for some people, it's much easier to give things up altogether. Um, I call this the strategy of abstaining. It's just easier to have none. It's harder to have a little. 
And then for some people, they get kind of rebellious or uh, panicky if they're told they can't have any. And so they do better when they have a little bit. But often people are told, well, you're doing it wrong. And I'm a person who, you know, I quit sugar. I don't eat carbs. Like I, I, and I like that. It's very easy for me because I'm an abstainer. I just say, I don't, that's just off my list. And so it doesn't bother me. I don't think about it. But so many people say to me like, well, that's not healthy. You shouldn't be so rigid. If you eat that way, it's going to be bad for you in the long run. And I'm like, no, maybe it would be bad for you. Maybe it's too rigid for you. But for me, it works. Again, it's not that one person's right and one person's wrong. It's how do we find the way that works for us? Because I think a lot of times when people struggle, it's because they're trying to fit themselves into someone else's mold. And so that mold may fit or it just very well may not fit. And so the question is, well, what kind of person am I? Mm, yeah, which, wow, that's a huge question, right? Yeah. What person, who yeah. am I? <laughs> no, it is, it's a huge question. And for anyone listening that's maybe thinking like, oh my gosh, happiness project and like committing to a year of self-discovery, I ain't got time for that. Oh, my whole <laughs> thing is like doing it in the interstices of your ordinary day. I mean, I love reading about people, you know, oh, you know, Elizabeth Gilbert moving to India or whatever. I think that's fun to read about, throw. But my whole, I'm like, I, I had to, no, I had to live my ordinary life. So everything I talk about is stuff you can do with a lot of, without any extra time, energy or money. It's very manageable. And I think most people know, like we all have like low hanging fruit. There's stuff that we mm -hmm. can do as part of our ordinary day to be happier. If we would just sort of sit down and think about how we might go about that. What were some of the things when you first started were those like low hanging fruit quick wins? Well, you know, this is one thing that Elizabeth and I always talk about on Happier on the podcast is we always have a try this at home. And that's mm -hmm. just like an idea of like, you try this at home. And because a lot of times they're so small that they almost seem laughable. But then you think, wow, it really makes a difference. So one of the ones that I did that had a huge effect was just to say, like, every time somebody came and went from our apartment, they, they would really get a warm, we called a warm greeting and farewell, a warm hello and goodbye. Because what we were finding is people were sort of coming and going and people were just sort of grunting out a hello and barely looking up from their book or their device or their newspaper or whatever. And that just wasn't the attentive atmosphere that I wanted in our home. So we all decided that almost everything that I do is only me. I make almost no group resolutions because that's one of the sad truths about happiness. You can't change other people, though you wish you could. You can't. Mm -hmm. But this one, we all agreed we would do it. And it's just this, it takes no time or energy practically just to give someone a really an honest, true hello or goodbye when they're coming or going. And it dramatically changed the atmosphere of my home. I remember there was, I think it was part of this section of your podcast and you were talking about how, I think it's something to do with toilet paper and how you guys didn't have oh, yes. like storage for toilet paper yes. in your bathroom. <laughs> and so you just yes. like th these little things would just make you happier. That's the happiness hack segment where we talk about, again, yeah, it's yeah. like some incredibly minor, you know, intervention that makes you happier. Yes, we got one of those, you know, and I don't even know what the name of it is. It's like a stick that stands yeah, like up. Yeah, that holds toilet paper. Yeah, it just holds it, you know, behind, you know, just out on the floor. And I mean, I can't, my husband was like, this is the greatest thing of all time. Like, yeah. how did we not have, and it was just like, okay. Yeah, so that's another segment, a happiness hack. And then we also talk about like happiness stumbling blocks. Like, what are the things, when people are trying to be happier, there are very consistent things that 
that bring us down? So how do you deal with that? And also we have a question, like we, we sometimes have the segment, know yourself better for exactly the reason that you said. It's so important that we know ourselves and yet it's hard to know ourselves. So we try to present a question where someone would think, well, let me, let me answer that question for myself. And in a way I'll get, you know, just that much more insight into what's true about me. And what are some of the things that hold us down or hold us back from doing this work? Well, you know, part of it is our willingness to let ourselves off the hook. Um, And better than before, I talk about the strategy of loopholes, which are, you know, we're really amazing advocates for ourselves. And we can, I have 10 categories of loopholes. And they're all super popular. Like there's the tomorrow loophole. It doesn't matter what I eat today, because starting tomorrow, I'm going to be so good. And then there's moral licensing loophole. It doesn't matter what I eat today, because yesterday I was so good. And then there's the uh, lack of control loophole. I had to eat it because I was at a business dinner. Or there's the uh, fake self-actualization loophole. Life's too short not to give myself a brownie. You know, so, so they're all, so I think part of it is that we're very very good at, at figuring out why we should let ourselves off the hook. And, and then I think part of it is also we don't understand ourselves enough to set things up in a way that will allow us to succeed. Because my whole thing is, you know, we're constantly sort of presented with these magical one-size-fits-all solutions. You know, do it first thing in the morning, start small, do it for 30 days, give yourself a cheat day, like this is the answer. And maybe, you know, those things work sometimes for some people, but they don't work all the time for everybody. So, how do you really think about what's true for you? And then, so I think, I think because people often are trying to, to uh, just use a template instead of thinking about themselves, then, then it just, it's not a good fit. For instance, morning people, night people. If you're a night person, which is largely genetically determined and it's also a function of age, you're not, you're at your most productive, creative and energetic much later in the day. And the idea that you're going to get up early and go for a run or you're going to get up early and work on your novel in your free time is just totally unrealistic. I'm just saying right now, it's very unlikely that you're going to be able to do that because you probably can barely get to work on time because you're a night person and there's nothing wrong with that. Some people are morning people and some people are night people. So the answer for you is to schedule that later in the day when you are at a higher energy place. I'm a morning person. I never schedule anything important later in the day because I'm in a constant, you know, my energy is just going down, 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 down. But for somebody else, that's not their, that's not what's true for them. So why am I telling everybody to do something? Because, you know, I used to think everybody could be a morning person if they just went to bed on time, but that's not true. (laughs) I used to think the same thing. Like if you just do it this way, like, like it can totally work, but that's so not true and something that I was listening to a podcast maybe a couple of years ago and the guy was speaking about a morning practice and developing a morning practice for yourself to like get started with the day I'm like that's a brilliant idea and he's like I get in my golf cart and I go around our private like neighborhood and I was like wow well this isn't going to work for me I don't have a golf cart and I don't live in a gated community so I guess I won't do a morning practice and I was like wait a minute (laughs) that makes no sense like why why would I think that I need to fit in somebody else's box or mold, like yeah. you said, and I can still have a morning practice. It just may not look like, you know, golf right. things and going around a gated community. Um, well, and one thing that I found is sort of I, I have this personality framework that I came up with that divides the whole world into four categories. And what I found is that what's true for one category of person is not necessarily true for another kind of person and might actually be counterproductive for another kind of person. And so you have to be very wary when somebody says, well, you should be able to do this because it's like, well, you can do it that way. But that might not be the right way for me because my I call this the four tendencies, because if my tendency is different from your tendency, then we might 
might really respond to different kind of circumstances in very different ways. Instant Pot, my personal favorite pressure cooker, is a partner of the podcast. With Instant Pot, you can make meals in minutes. Truly, I was someone who was intimidated by pressure cookers, but I'm so happy I gave Instant Pot a try. It makes rich bone broths, hearty stews, and epic dishes just like your slow cooker does, but a lot quicker. I have the Instant Pot IP Duo 60, which pressure cooks, slow cooks, cooks rice, sautés, makes yogurt, steam and warms up food all in one. As an exclusive for Keto Diet Podcast listeners only, Instant Pot is offering everyone $50 off any Instant Pot of their choice. Simply go to instantpot.com, find the unit that best suits you, and use the coupon code KETO, that's all in caps, no spaces, for your $50 discount. What are those frameworks? Like there's four of them. So this this is it's whether you're an upholder, a questioner, an obliger, or a rebel, and it has to do with how a person responds to an expectation. Outer expectations, which are things like work deadlines or requests from a spouse, and then inner expectations, which is your own desire to give up sugar or your own desire to keep a New Year's resolution. And so upholders readily meet outer and inner expectations. So they meet a work deadline, they keep a New Year's resolution without much fuss. They want to know what's expected of them, but their expectations for themselves are just as important. Then questioners. Questioners question all expectations. They'll do something if they think it makes sense. So they won't do anything arbitrary or inefficient or irrational. So in a way, they make everything an inner expectation. If it meets their criteria, they'll do it. If it doesn't, they won't. Then obligers. Obligers readily meet outer expectations, but they struggle to meet inner expectations. And I understood this tendency when a friend of mine said, when I was in high school, I was on the track team and I never missed track practice. So why can't I go running now? Well, when she had a team and a coach waiting for her, she had no trouble showing up. But when she was on her own, she struggled. And then finally, rebels. Rebels resist all expectations, outer and inner alike. They want to do what they want to do in their own way, in their own time. If you ask or tell them to do something, they're very likely to resist. They often don't even want to tell themselves what to do. And Amazing. so, and there's actually a quiz. If you go to happiercast.com slash quiz, there's a quiz that you can take that will tell you what you are. But most people can tell what they are just from this brief thing. And I have to say, given your three core values, I could, I think I could guess what yours is. Okay, what, what, what? Well, those are those are very core values to rebels. Oh, yeah, when you said rebel, even the word rebel, I'm like, yep, that's me. I don't even need to hear the explanation. Spontaneity and adventure, I'm like, oh, man, she's got rebel. So anyway, so what's maybe interesting for you to know, rebel is the smallest tendency. The fewest people are rebels, which probably you figured out in the world. There aren't that many people who are like you, right? Yeah, none. Yeah, then my tendency lot. is also very small. A polder tendency is only slightly small than the rebel tendency. We're like the two extreme kinds of personalities. Overwhelmingly, people are questioners or obligers, and obliger is the largest tendency. The no most number of people, both men and women, are obligers. And so, so that's really worth thinking about if you're, if you're figuring out how to work with somebody, knowing their tendency is going to have a very big influence on the, what's going to work with them effectively. And I'm sure like, as you were talking, I'm thinking like obliger, I don't know if they'd make, I think they'd struggle with being an entrepreneur <laughs> because you're kind of just on your own. And we'll see, 
That is a key, key, key insight. And I, and before I came up with this four tendencies framework, I actually knew some people, you know, just from around who had left like big jobs where they, you know, they had a boss and they had colleagues and they had deadlines and, you know, deliverables and all that. And they were super productive and had no trouble working. And then they went off on their own. Like one had a, wanted to start a fabric uh, design business online and the other one wanted to, you know, kind of go into the gig economy. And they really were paralyzed. And, um, and both of them returned kind of to their old kind of work. And knowing what I know now, I would say, if you're an obliger, you've got to figure out a way to have accountability. For an obliger to meet inner expectations, the solution, the answer is always outer accountability. And it's easy to plug in outer accountability once you realize that's what you need. So an entrepreneur who's struggling because there's no one to be accountable to could get a client. Maybe somebody that is not even paying you, but you're going to like, you're like, okay, I'll take photographs at your wedding for free because I just need to start producing work or I'm going to write, I'm going to write an ebook and I'm going to tell my, the people on my 50 person newsletter list that this, this ebook is going to be available. So they're going to be expecting it. So I have to deliver it. Or maybe I'm going to get an, a coach who's going to hold me to my deadlines and, and check up on me. Or maybe I'm going to form a group with other people where we're all going to hold each other accountable. There's a million ways to build an accountability once you realize that that is the missing piece. But see, a lot of obligers don't realize that that is the thing they think it's something they often have other explanations which distract them from understanding like how they could actually plug in the solution the podcast is partnered with vital proteins you guys know how much i love vital proteins they're collagen peptides collagen protein also known as beef gelatin as well as the marine collagen has just been transformed into stick packs so if you love their products just as much as me but you're sick and tired of putting your collagen or gelatin into little baggies yourself they've done it for you each stick pack has 10 grams of either your collagen peptides your beef gelatin or your marine collagen all in one little pack that you can put in your purse you can take with you camping you can even bring them on holidays each box comes with 20 stick packs super excited about this you can stock up on your stick packs and other awesome things from vital proteins by going to vitalproteins.com and using the coupon code vphp10 for 10% off your entire order plus free shipping in the US. Yeah, exactly. And I'm sure the this framework could also be used for, you know, lifestyle changes, whether you're thinking, you know, I know gluten's no good for me, or, you know, in your case, carbs, and many people listening carbs, but like, how do you actually, how do I actually remove carbs? And I'm sure that there's a, yeah, there's a million things you could do. So one thing you could do is think if I don't buy carbs, if carbs don't come into my house, everybody will be healthier. So I do it as a duty to my family. Duty, like so being a role model, being a duty to others is, is a form of accountability. Or you could make a deal with your sweetheart and say, if I have dessert, you have to eat twice as much dessert. <laughs> or you could have a deal with your friend. We're both going to stay. I, somebody emailed me that she and her sister-in-law made a deal. If they both stuck to their good habits, they would have a spa day. But your spa day was dependent on me keeping my good habits, and my spa day depends on you keeping your good habits. So if you don't stick to your good habits, I don't get a spa day. So you wouldn't, maybe you would, maybe for yourself, you'd be like, well, 
I'm not going to do it. But if you're going to disappoint me, then that's going to be that's going to be a way. Or you could have a group of accountability where, you know, I just launched this app called Better, you know, in iTunes and all that. And one of the things people can form accountability groups online. And it's like a lot of times you just need to know that somebody's going to be like, how's that going? Like you said you were going to do you said you were going to bring lunch from home instead of getting fast food. You said you were going to do that like, you know, two weeks ago. Last week, you you stuck to it. How are you doing this week? You know, knowing that someone is holding you accountable is really helpful for obligers. Whereas with a rebel, I don't no. like right? accountability. <laughs> right? It's like, leave me alone. I have magic. I'll just do it. <laughs> but see, this is a very key thing. And over and over, rebels have told me that like, oh, if I get these like helpful accountability emails, then I'm like, I won't do it. Or the more somebody nags me or reminds me to do something, I'm going to push back against them because they're not the boss of me. Even though we're doctor's orders. To say to a, to, to a rebel, you really need to follow your doctor's orders. They're going to be like, no, I don't. You can't make me. He's not the yeah. boss of me. Yeah. So you for a rebel, you really need to have a very, very different kind. It needs to come from a very different place. And a lot of so you could see that the accountability that's essential for obligers is actually counterproductive for rebels. So this is why a lot of times when there's health interventions, they don't work very well, because for some people, maybe it works. And for some people, it's really not getting them what they need. Totally. And what about for the other two personalities? Like, are there are there different tools and tips that one could follow when it well, comes? Well, for upholders, it's pretty easy. So, and that's again, like any intervention is going to work with upholders because upholders really don't need any intervention because they're just like, yeah, okay, I, <laughs> I get it. You know, I'll do it. And if they want to, they can't. I mean, I'm not saying it's effortless, but it's comparatively easier for upholders. Questioners always, it's always the rationale. Are, are they convinced that this is a good idea? And a lot of times, you know, somebody will say, well, you should do this. And they're like, okay, but they're not really convinced. So they don't actually follow up with it. So questioners really need justification. They absolutely have to be convinced. If you're telling me to do something, I have to trust your authority. Also, they tend to love to customize. So if you hand them like, this is what you're supposed to eat, they'll be like, like a friend of mine is a type two diabetic and the doctor handed him this whole thing. And he's like, well, let me tell you how I'm going to do it because this is, I'm going to do it my way. And I'm just telling you this way, I'm going to have to adjust it a little bit. And so it's like, okay. You know, they love to customize. That's my husband and uh-huh, we yeah. work together. And it's like, as a rebel, I guess I, you know, I'm just like a get her done type of girl. Like just, any way possible, get it done as quickly as possible. And then I give him a project and he takes like four days and he's like questioning everything. And all of a sudden he's got this like new certificate in something. And I'm like, I just asked you to set up a page. (laughs) Well, and also one thing that rebels say in terms of like healthy habits or whatever is they should do something right away. Mm -hmm. Like if you feel like I should go for a walk, it's like, yes, go for a walk right now. Like with a rebel, you never want to say to them, oh, wouldn't it be better to wait? Because it's like, maybe they won't feel like doing it later. If they Mm -hmm. feel like doing something, do it now. But they also respond to a challenge. I bet you can't do this. I bet someone like you couldn't give up sugar for six months. It's too hard for you. Oh, that's like, oh, man, (laughs) I'd be like, yeah, watch me. I can do nine months. I can do nine years. (laughs) That is that's the rebel motto. Watch me. That's cool. Um, No. So so these once you know these tendencies, it can be it can be very powerful. And then and then also, like you say, with your husband, like my husband's a questioner as well, and they can drive you crazy with the Mm -hmm. questions. And so but now I understand, like, if I'm asking him to do something, I need to include in the question an explanation for why I'm asking it, or he just won't do it. Because he's like, why should I do it? Mm -hmm. That's just his first question is, why should I? 
fair enough. Like I would like as an upholder, I'm like, if you asked me to do it, I would just do it because you asked me to do it. And I wish you would do the same for me, but he's not like me. And so I need to give him more explanation. You know, I need you to change. I need you to change the light bulbs today because we have people coming over for dinner tomorrow and I don't want to have to like worry about it when we're worried about cleaning up the whole house. Like that's a reason that he can understand. But if I'm just like, would you change the light bulbs? He'll be like, yeah, at some point. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know about you if your questioner husband has this is a lot of times questioners hate to be questioned. Oh, they don't yeah. Like, they don't like ask. They don't like answering questions, which is ironic, but is part is a very common pattern among questioners. Yeah. they. I know Kevin feels like challenged, like yes. insulted immediately yes. when I ask a question. Yes. yes, they really do. Because they're like, you should trust my judgment. If I say this, you should know. It's the way. I've done the research <laughs> and how can you, yeah. So once you see, but again, like right now, we I, all this is very predictable. These patterns are very predictable. If I know, you know, and I would say probably, you know, your husband may have trouble, it, like maybe in school or at other jobs because people, say, you know, that he was not a team player or he asked yes. too many questions or he was ch- impudent to a teacher because he was asking questions like, why do we have to learn about Mesopotamia? Very common among questioners. As a rebel, you probably, you know, find yourself, you know, pushing back or like maybe you won't do something that you were otherwise planning to do because because somebody told you to do it and you're like, well, I was going to do it, but now I'm not going to because you told me to. Like sometimes rebels won't even do what they want to do because somebody is telling them to do it or they might struggle to tell themselves what to do. I'd like to be able to do this, but for some reason I'm having trouble getting myself to do it because I don't want to tell myself what to do. So these patterns are very, it's funny, like once you see them, you're like, they're everywhere. They're, they're highly predictable. And with oblige, you know, a lot of times obligers will say something like, well, I can, why is it that I can always take time for other people, but I can't take time for myself? Mm. And when I hear that, I'm like, I don't really think you're understanding the dynamic properly. It isn't that you are sacrificing or putting someone else in first priority. It is that you are meeting outer expectations and struggling to meet inner expectations. And if you had those inner, if you had outer accountability for your inner expectation, then all that kind of, all that would fall away. And over and over, obligers tell me that that's the answer. Because once they have the outer accountability, then they can do whatever they want to do. But when they just try to like, I want to make myself a priority. I want to put myself first. It just doesn't work. I'm like, I, I, people can spend years trying to do that. It's very abstract and it just doesn't seem to work. And this works right away. So I'm like, take the easy solution. Gave yours an outer accountability is so easy to create. There's a million ways to create outer accountability. So just get there the easy way, in my view. Yeah, totally. I hear that from moms a lot in my practice of like, well, my children come first and I want to put myself first, but I have so many other priorities and it just... So right there, put in the outer accountability. Mm. And, you know, like if you want to exercise, exercise with a friend who's going to be annoyed if you don't show up. Exercise with a trainer who's going to charge you triple if you don't show up. Think about your duty to be a role model for your children and, you know, modeling good exercise behavior and also keeping your promises to yourself. Somebody said to me that the way she got herself to train for the marathon is she told her first grade class that she was doing it. And they made a chart on the wall and it was like, Mrs. Smith's training. And she said those first graders were 100% fired up. And every day they were like, how's it going? How did you do? You can't give up now. And she's like, what can I, how can I? How can I say no to this? How can I say no to a bunch of first graders? You know, they're relentless. So it's like, it's just like all that. And sometimes obligers will often feel like it's somehow weak. Like they don't like 
that they're dependent on outer accountability and they, they feel bad about it. And I'm like, why feel bad? This is not good or bad. It's just the way some people are. It's the biggest tendency. Lots of people are in exactly your same situation. So like, you know, it's not like you're one of a kind. This is the biggest tendency. And it's, and, and it's just work with it, you know, because once you, once you, there's enormous strength to the obliger tendency. And this is a very easy fix. In a way, it's easiest for obligers. All of the tendencies have, weaknesses and limitations. And I almost think obligers have the easiest fix because it's a very concrete fix, plug in outer accountability. Like my tendency, upholder tendency, it's like, how do you shore up the weaknesses? It's much more abstract. Or rebel. For rebel, the strengths and the weaknesses are so bound together. It's like it's hard to even see what you do. Like yeah. you have to really get into this like the the deep psychology of motivation and everything. It's like that's hard. Obligers, it's very straightforward. Yeah, you just get that outer accountability. I know outer accountability. Yeah, yeah, for me, it's like if my it's so funny, I'll dress up in my yoga clothes in the morning and I'll come downstairs and my husband will say, are you going to yoga? No, and like, no, 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 I'm not. Now I'm not. I'm not going. Yeah. Don't okay, tell me you what to you do. Say, you know what you say to a rebel? You say, oh, I guess you're not going to, re- to yoga today. <laughs> yes, I am. Oh, yeah, I am. That's so yeah, true. I am. Right? It's so I mean, true. Really, or like if you deal with a rebel, maybe you had this as a rebel child, like, honey, telling Aunt Jane you had a lovely time. No, I'm not going to. Because maybe you were perfectly ready to tell Aunt Jane you had a lovely time. The minute your mom tells you that, you're not going to do it. I mean, it is really, it's really helpful to know these things. And I've heard from so many parents who are like, I was just pushing, pushing, pushing my rebel child and things were getting worse and worse and worse. And then, and my advice is like, back away, back away, back away, back away. Mm-hmm. On the podcast, we had two listeners for our listener question segment. We had two listeners in one week who asked the same question, which was basically, how do I get my rebel husband to look for a job? One person, they were moving <laughs> and he needed a job in the new city. And one was like, he was sort of transitioning out of a job and he needed to get a new job. And I was, and they were like, what do you do? And I was like, well, you can tell me whether you think I gave the right advice. I said, do nothing. They know they need a job. And the more you remind them or like, let's make a let's make a list on a yellow pad. And the more you push them, the more they're going to resist you. And if mm-hmm. you just say nothing, they're not dumb. They know they need a job. Let them do it in their way, in their own time. Mm-hmm. It's so and, true. Yeah. Yeah. Just leave me alone. And leave you alone. Because you yeah. can do anything. Rebels can do anything they want to do. Yeah, it was like when I moved to India for a while and then it was a whole eat, pray, love experience and I came back and quit my job. I didn't talk to my husband about it. I literally walked into my boss's office and was like, I quit. And he's like, no, 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 I'll give you everything. And I'm like, no, I quit. He's like, double your salary. I'm like, nope, quit. And uh, I told my husband, he's like, what are you doing? You didn't even talk to me about this. I'm like, I literally don't care. I don't like you can't tell me what to do. This felt like a good thing. And it was the best choice I ever made. Yes. But again, it's like and if and from thinking about it from her husband's perspective, I think sometimes like a spouse like that could feel like she doesn't care about me. Mm-hmm. She it doesn't matter her what I think or feel. She doesn't take me into account and in major decisions. But when you know someone's a rebel, you're like, it has nothing to do with the strength of a relationship. It's no reflection of her love for me. It's just this is what it's like to be a rebel. This is the way they are. They're all kind of like this. They're like this in every aspect of their life. They're like it with you. They're like it with their boss. They're like it with their children. They're like it with their family. They're like it with their friends. It's just part of their, it's just part of what it is to be a rebel. And so there's no, you don't have to take it personally. Mm -hmm. I mean, everybody says that I've heard that with all of the tendencies, it's like, 
well, you know, this questioner is just constant. I feel like they're under my, they don't accept my authority. Like, why are they constantly asking me why we're doing everything? Just like, I'm the boss. And it's like, that's a questioner. They're like that with everybody. They were like that with their kindergarten teacher. They're going to be like that with you. And they're like it with their wife. You know, it's just, <laughs> it, it's, it's just, it's just them being them. And so you don't have to get upset about it or take it personally. It's just how to manage it best. Totally. And I think understanding these personalities, not just for yourself, but for those around you can massively improve your happiness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and like one of the things that I learned as an upholder is that like a lot of things that came easily for me didn't come easily for other people. And so I have a lot more forbearance now for other people. And this is something that a lot of upholders struggle with. There, There is kind of a coldness to being an upholder because upholders in the end, like they are, they feel very comfortable pursuing their expectations for themselves. And I now have much more insight about why others find that annoying or distressing sometimes, because I see how the upholder perspective is different from other people's perspectives. When I usually, I I used to like think, well, everybody's basically like me. Well, in a lot Mm. of ways, we're very much like each other, but the differences are very important. And this is a place where the, where the difference is very illuminating. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know that when I realized that I was just like, that people couldn't like, didn't think like I did, like it was okay, but I needed to get to their middle ground because I was getting really frustrated. I know that when I first started out my business, I was working for myself and I kept getting disappointed in people because they weren't, they couldn't do things as quick as me or they thought differently or they had too many questions and I'm like, just do it. But once I realized, yeah. Here's an interesting thing about rebels. Rebels often don't have trouble telling other people what to do. Oh, that's no one of the ir- that's, one of the, that's one of the ironies of rebels. They don't want to be told what to do, but they feel very comfortable telling other people what to do. And also, uh, oh, wait, what was the other thing I was going to say? It was about questioners. Uh, anyway, for, oh, so many thoughts about this. But yeah, I mean, as a rebel, do you ever feel challenged because like you want to do something, but then you also don't want to tell yourself to do it? Um, or do you know what you want? Oh, I, I've always known what I want. It's very clear, like, no question. I do what I want when I want. The thing is, is when I want something, it has to happen now. I can't wait. Yes. I can't, like, wait for other people. I can't, like, keep it in the back of my mind. It just has to be done right this second. Well, so here's something that's interesting about Rebels. It's interesting that your husband is and your and partner, uh, business partner, is a questioner because overwhelmingly when Rebels pair up, they pair up with obligers. That is by far the dominant pattern because obligers are just can tolerate the Rebel way typically much better than obligers or uh, than questioners or upholders. So that's interesting that you're paired up with a questioner. Well, my entire team is obligers, except my husband, who's a questioner. Interesting. <laughs> like but all see, like, 11 of them. <laughs> so listen to this. You and I, you've never heard of this framework before. And now you've pegged everybody in your life with tendency there. I mean, it really yes. is. Once you hear it, I mean, I made it up. So of course, like, I love it. But yeah. it is like you, you see it in the world very easily. What are like three steps that somebody can take right now to instill a bit more gratitude and happiness in their life. 
Um, well, I wouldn't, uh, you know, one thing I would not say is gratitude journal. I myself had terrible results from the gratitude journal and research shows that actually gratitude journals don't work that well. Um, mm. And if you're going to keep a gratitude journal, maybe try doing it twice a week. That seems to work better for people. But again, it's might be uh, maybe a gratitude journal would work great for you. I've heard uh, people do things like use screensavers that remind them of gratitude or use passwords that remind them of something they want to be grateful for. So sometimes like having a little practice like that works better than for the journal, which for some reason I found very annoying. That's, Me too. You did? There you go. Don't okay. tell me to journal. <laughs> yeah, right. I know. But like one thing I do is I had um, I uh, in my I live in an apartment building where you have to go through two doors to get in or out. Uh, we don't have a doorman. And and so there's sort of a pause where you're like opening, opening a door. And um, so I always use that time to sort of think oh, how happy I am to be going out into New York City, my favorite city in the world, or, you know, how happy I am to be coming home to my cozy apartment in New York City. Um, so sometimes you can have, or, you know, often people like before meals, that's a very traditional time to be have a moment of gratitude, but maybe there's a different part of your day that would make more sense for you. Another thing, you know, one thing that I think people really ignore is the, the physical, because our physical experience always colors our emotional experience. And so really, like making sure that you get enough sleep, it's just very hard hard to feel happy if you're exhausted. And if you're very low energy, it's hard to do the things that you know would make you happier. Because you're like, I know I'd be happy if I planned a fun holiday party. That would be so fun. But I just can't even face like figuring out the emails of everybody, you know, so you even though you know, it would be a happiness booster in the long run, you're too tired. So you want to get enough sleep, get some exercise, because for some people, some people think exercise is going to make them feel more tired. But unless you're really at the extreme, exercise tends to boost energy. And here's a weird one. This has always surprised me. Over and over, people tell me how outer order contributes to a sense of inner calm and inner self-command. And I totally believe that in the context of a happy life, something like a crowded coat closet is it's trivial. But over and over, people say, you know, when I get things of get rid of things that don't work or that don't fit or that I don't use or that I hate, but I sort of have kept around that they just feel more energetic and more in control of themselves. A friend of mine said, I finally, I cleaned out my fridge and I finally know I can switch careers. <laughs> and I knew exactly what she meant by that. So sometimes that's a great way to start. It's just like clearing clutter because it, it, it seems to have more of a psychic benefit than it would seem. That, and like of all the resolutions I've ever talked about in all my research, the one thing that people most often mention as a happiness booster is make your bed. Yes. A lot of people feel like making their bed helps them start their day the right way. Yeah, I totally agree with you. One thing that I did that really, really helped, especially with my body love experience over the last year, similar, I guess, to the happiness project of just like, I'm sick of hating my body <laughs> and, and all the social norms that come along with that. And so I removed all of the clothes in my closet, in my basement that didn't fit me anymore. Mm, that's a great idea. Right, right, <laughs> you know? right. So you just don't see it, you know, because you walk past your closet and you're thinking that doesn't fit me, that doesn't fit me, that doesn't fit me. And that's not a very fun place to be in every day. 
No, so, so no. I can totally relate to that. Amazing. And then you have more, and then you have more space too. And there's there's kind of a a there's an energy that comes from like being e- easily putting things away or or seeing like in my house I have an empty shelf, and I just want to keep it empty. You know, I just like the idea that there's just a shelf that has nothing on it, because there's something about having space, like being able to put things away easily. Like our t- like our we were driven mad by our toilet paper problem because yeah. there just wasn't enough room in our bathroom. We've got you know my husband and my 17 year old daughter and I all share a bathroom. It's not that big. It doesn't have, it doesn't have under the sink storage. Like, why did I do that in our renovation? <laughs> I have no idea. But, but then it was like, here's the solution. And now we have so much more space. We have enough space to put things away properly. And it's just ridiculous what a positive effect that had on my happiness. When you think of like how trivial a matter that is, it's tiny. And yet it had a disproportionate effect on my mood. Totally. Yeah, we did the same thing. After I heard that, I was like, oh, my gosh, we have that same problem, too. I could just get one of those toilet paper roll holders. Yeah. And then when you walk in, you can see if you have extra toilet paper, too. Exactly. Or like if you're running low. It's like it solves so many problems. <laughs> but we need to know the name for it. Like, what is it? What is the name? If you know the name, email me on my site, GretchenRubin.com, and tell me, what do you call that? It's just like a, a stick, a pole that sticks up into the air and has toilet paper <laughs> on it. On it. Pedestal? I don't know. Toilet, toilet paper, paper pedestal. pedestal. I know, the TPP. I know. I know. That'd be, well, okay, we'll solve this problem for the <laughs> Oxford English Dictionary. Exactly. So that was fabulous. Um, where can people find more about you? You talked a little bit about your podcast. Yeah. So I have a podcast uh, called Happier with Gretchen Rubin, and that's a weekly podcast that I do with my sister, and we talk about exactly these kinds of issues. I have a website, GretchenRubin.com, where I post almost every day with some something about happiness or habits or human nature. I have an app that I just launched that's all about the four tendencies, which is that personality framework that I discussed, and that's called Better. So if you just search by from better Gretchen Rubin on the app store, you'll find it. And it's brand, it's just, it was literally like last week. So um, but there's, yeah, there's, there's already a lot of cool conversation there. And if you want accountability, if you're, if you're like an obliger, who's like, Oh my gosh, light bulb, I need accountability. You can there form a group. You can bring your own group. If you have a bunch of friends who want to do it, like you're all trying to cook more, you're all trying to like work on your writing together or whatever, or you can find people on the app who just, want to have an accountability group because really anybody can have an account anybody for any purpose can it's just is somebody holding you accountable that is the key thing and then of course there's my books for people who love to read the way i'm love to read i have uh better than before is my book that's really about habit change so it's really about once you know what you want to do to be happier how do you actually get yourself to do it and then the happiness project and happier at home are both books about how do you figure out what makes you happy? How would you go about make, figuring out the, what elements in your life you would try to transform in order? And again, it's like this is all stuff that you do without quitting your day job. It's all, you know, doesn't take time, energy or money. It's meant to be part of the ordinary day. That's brilliant. And I will include all of those links in the show oh, notes great. for today's episode, which you guys can find at healthfulpursuit.com forward slash podcast forward slash E7. So everything that Gretchen just mentioned, we'll put it in there. And thank you so much for coming on the show. I learned oh. a lot about myself and about my husband. <laughs> yes, I love talking to a rebel. There yeah. aren't that many of them, but they're always super fascinating. So it was so fun to talk to you. I feel like we could have talked all day.
And that does it for another episode of the Keto Diet Podcast. Thanks for listening in. You can follow me on Instagram by searching Healthful Pursuit, where you'll find daily keto eats and other fun things. And check out all of my keto supportive programs, bundles, guides, and other cool things over at healthfulpursuit.com forward slash shop. And I'll see you next Sunday. Bye.